Good morning. My name is Joseph. I'll be bringing the second Bible reading. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word. Thanks, Joseph. Um, so what would be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open as we work through. So we'll work through Isaiah chapter 9. And if you're a note taker, uh, you'll find an outline in your handout that might be uh, helpful for you as well to follow along. Uh, but before we begin, I might pray for our time. So please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can gather as your people. We thank you we can open your word. Uh, we thank you that your words are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible and like gold refined seven times. And so as we sit under them now, under your word now, how would you be at work in us through your spirit as we consider what really happened at Christmas? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever experienced the power of darkness and the power of light, either by the absence of light or by its presence? Uh, let me share with you a story from a few years ago. I used to have this nighttime hobby that I loved doing. Uh, they were reading these stories about uh, real life stories people told about burglars and uh, people like that that had broken into their houses. It was a little bit like kind of, you know, some people like watching horror movies. Uh, I liked reading these stories. And so one night, I was lying in bed reading these stories. It was quite late at night, maybe 11.30 or so. Cassie was asleep next to me and the lights were off, so I was reading them on my phone. And as I was, I was quite enjoying that, but then I started, suddenly felt the call of nature. So I got up and I started heading towards the door. But the thing about me is that I have a vivid imagination. And so as I was walking towards the door, the door was shut, I started thinking to myself, my vivid imagination kicked in, I started thinking to myself, imagine if there's a burglar, imagine if there's someone inside our house and they're waiting just on the other side of that door. And so I walked up to the door and as I started reaching out to take hold of the handle, do you know what happened? Cassie woke up and she saw someone standing at the door. The problem was she thought I was still in bed next to her and that the person standing at the door was a burglar. So she calls out, Ollie, Ollie, there's someone there. And now I'm standing there picturing someone standing on the other side of the door. And so I started almost having a heart attack. But do you know what I did? Well, the smart thing would have been to turn on the light. I didn't do that. I don't know why I didn't do that. But I just started walking towards the bed to try and comfort 
Cassie, but for some reason, I didn't speak as I was doing that. <laughs> I just kind of lumbered towards the bed. And so she thought that was the burglar coming to finish the job. Eventually, I managed to um, convince her and, and sort it out and say that it was me. By that time, I'd wiped about 10 years off both of our lives. And that's the story of how that hobby got banned in our household. But think about it with me for a minute. It illustrates so well the power of light. Because all I needed to do there was to turn on the light switch. As soon as I turned on the light switch, everything would have been resolved. It would have been clear that it was me, and light would have been shed. See, light is a powerful thing, and we know that instinctively, because what's the first thing you do at night when you hop in the car? Well, you turn on the lights. You can't drive the car without the lights at night. Or what about in summer when sometimes we get those dreaded blackouts, all of the electricity gone? What do we do? Well, we pull out that candle, we light it up, and we huddle around it, just trying to get a small glimpse, a small taste of light. Light is a powerful thing because light chases away darkness. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but we need light. We live in a world that is desperate for light because we live in a world that's inundated by darkness. Let me illustrate that to you by what happened the other day. I love reading the news, so I went on news.com. Now, you might say that's not actually a source of news, but nevertheless, I went on news.com, and do you, see what I, do you know what I saw? The very first article at the top of the page was this terrible story about a lady who had lost her teenage son, her teenage son had died. But to make it even worse, people were now harassing her about that. So that was a bit of a down of a waste to start off. So I continued scrolling down. Just a little bit beneath that, I saw an article that was entitled, We've Got Bad News About 2023. That was the name of the article. And it was, again, a bit of a downer to see, and it was about the state of the world economy. But then scrolling a little bit further was not even a title, but just an image for one of the articles. There was a teenage boy who was covered in blood who'd been stabbed when six intruders broke into his house. The world is a dark, dark place. We just need to look around and we see that. And in fact, I'm sure we can all think of things in our own lives, perhaps that we've even faced this week, darknesses this week. Stresses at work with demanding bosses, tension in our marriages at home, mental health challenges, loved ones who are sick. There are all sorts of heartbreaks and struggles that we might be going through even now. This world is a dark, dark place. But of course, the darkness isn't just out there. The darkness is in here as well. There's a famous book you might have heard of, The Gulag Archipelago. It's by a man called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And what he describes in that book is his experience being in, this, in the Soviet prison system. And those prisons by the Soviet regime, they were like hell on earth. And as he's describing and as he's reflecting on the horror and the brutality and the cruelty of those prisons, he realizes that actually they're not a product of the evil and darkness that's kind of floating around out there but actually they're a product of the darkness of the human heart and that actually every single one of us is capable of something like that. It's got quite a profound quote. Uh, this is what he says. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil 
cuts through the heart of every human being. See, that's the problem with the darkness of this world. It's not just out there. It's also in our hearts. And I think deep down we all know that's true. We all know we've said and thought and done evil things, things that we are deeply ashamed of, things that we're not proud of. And that's why actually the darkness of the world is far worse than just a physical darkness. It's far worse than the darkness of a bedroom without light. It's far worse actually than even the deepest, darkest cave we can find. This is a darkness of the soul. This is an ultimate darkness. But what would it be like if darkness was gone forever? What would it be like if all of the sadness and all of the anguish and all of the horror was gone forever? What would it be like if light had flooded into the world? Well, that is the message of Christmas. As we've heard, our our series this year is exploring what really happened at Christmas. And today we'll see what happened, or at least part of what happened. God brightened up. God sent light down into the world to deal with the darkness. And in fact, in our Isaiah passage, that's what we see straight away. Have a look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, this light has come. Light's come into the world, but actually, not just any light. Did you see how it's described there? A great light. And that's what we need. The, the bigger a light is, the more darkness it's able to chase away. Uh, this here is a torch that church gave me uh, for my ordination, and I really like this torch. It's a bright torch. Uh, it's got my name engraved on there. And what I really like as well is it's quite hefty. So it doubles as a, a weapon in case someone breaks into our house. But it's a good light. But imagine if I came into this church at night and I turned the torch on. Would it chase away all the darkness in here? Would it completely light up this building? Well, of course not. It's not big enough to do that. To do that, we need the lights up above us, those giant lights we see there. But even those giant lights, they're not big enough to chase away the darkness outside of the building. To do that, we need a light even bigger. We need the sun. The sun chases away all that darkness in the world. But even a light as big as the sun can't chase away the deeper darkness of our hearts, the deeper darkness of the world. To do that, we need an even greater light. Now, we might say, well, what's brighter than the light of the sun? And the scientists might say, well, there's nothing that's brighter than the light of the sun. But actually, what the Bible says is that there is a light that's even brighter, even greater than the light of the sun. See, the sun only chases away physical darkness, But this light chases away spiritual darkness. The light only shines, the sun only shines light on part of the world at each time, but this light shines on the whole of the world all the time. The sun will eventually burn out and fade away, but this light will shine for all eternity, and this light has come. But the question is, well, how is it possible to have a light so bright it can chase away the darkness of the soul? And to answer that, we're actually going to work backwards through our passage. So it's helpful to understand Isaiah 9 by starting at the end, which gives us the key there in verse 7. 
Have a look at the end of verse 7 with me. It tells us how this is possible. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, that word zeal means kind of passion or determination. And so how is it possible to have a light that can chase away the darkness? Well, it's by the passion, the single-minded determination of God. And really, that is what we need, because we can't do it ourselves. If we just look at the last hundred years, there's been all sorts of great achievements that humans have, have brought about. Uh, we've had mod modern medicine has improved, meaning that the life expectancy has expanded. We've seen technological advancements that have led to humans walking on other planets on the moon. We've seen the, the rise of the internet so that you can talk to someone on the other side of the world at a whim. And yet with all of those advancements, all of those wonderful steps forward in humanity, actually the 19th century was the bloodiest century in human history. It's estimated that 187 million people died in wars in the 19th century. Another 50 million were killed in communist Russia, another 100 million in communist China. See, despite all of our advancements, actually, the world is still such a dark place. See, it's not possible for us to deal with that darkness, and it never will be. But it is possible for God to deal with it. And the beautiful news here is that when God looks around at the pain and the hurt and the darkness of the world, he's completely and utterly committed to fixing it. He's, com he's completely and utterly committed to disposing of the darkness of broken relationships. He's completely and utterly committed to disposing of the darkness of poverty. He's completely and utterly committed to disposing of the darkness of sin, sickness, and death. And he's completely and utterly committed to disposing of the darkness in the human heart. See, that is the wonderful promise that Isaiah gives. How is it possible to have a light that will chase away the darkness? Well, it's by God's absolute, single-minded, complete and utter determination to do that. It's made possible by the zeal of the Lord. But what form does this light take? Well, I actually told it in the passage. It isn't the light of a bedroom. It isn't the light of even a giant stadium. And it's not even the light of the sun. This light is a child. Have a look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, have you ever thought about just how crazy that is? If you've heard the Christian message before, which many of us have countless times, it can be easy to lose some of the shock factor of that. But think about it with me. The light of the world, the hope of the world is a child. It's a remarkable thing to say. I remember when Levi was born. Uh, this is me holding him in the hospital not long after he was born. But what I didn't do as I was holding him and as I was looking at him, I didn't say to him, Levi, you are the light of the world. You are the one who will bring hope to the world. Because he couldn't. It's just a child. He brought light to my world and to those around. But he can't bring light to the world. Of course not. He's just a baby. And yet here, the light of the world is a child, is a baby. 
It's this child that is God's light. And so, of course, we then might wonder, well, how is that possible? How is it possible for a child to chase away darkness, the darkness of my soul? And we see it in the two things that we learn here about this child in the verses that come. It's because he is God and because he'll reign forever. Now, have a look at the rest of verse 6. We see here that this isn't a normal child. Have a look at it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, we're given four names or four titles for this child, and they show us just how unusual this child is. Now, naming a child is always an important task. Uh, I remember trying to figure out what we were going to call Levi. Uh, Cassie and I both compiled our own lists of names. Then we swapped names and eliminated any name we didn't like. And then we had to start again because there were none left. But choosing a name is an important task because it's, it's giving a glimpse of what that child will be like. And that was even more the case in Hebrew culture where the name was meant to signify all that that child will be. And here, it's even more important because these are not names given by a human. These are names given by God. And so we're given four names. The first is Wonderful Counselor. That word wonderful literally means miraculous or supernatural. And so this child is going to have supernatural wisdom, supernatural counsel. In other words, he's going to have the wisdom and the counsel from God himself. And so then, when this child is born, we would expect people from generation to generation to generation to marvel at his teaching, even thousands of years later, even on the other side of the world. He'll also be called Mighty God. Now, the literal translation for that is God Warrior, God Fighter, and it's used later in Isaiah 10 to describe God himself. And so in other words, this child is going to be God himself acting in divine, mighty strength. And so when this child's born, we'd expect him to have the power of God over even creation itself. We'd expect him to calm the storm, to heal the sick, to drive out evil spirits, and eventually to defeat even death itself. The next name is Everlasting Father. Now, that's, of course, a very divine term and a term we might even use of God the Father. But the point here is that he will be like everything that's perfect about a father. He'll be the pattern of everything that's good about a dad. That is, he'll be a protector, a carer, a provider. And so when this child's born, we'd expect him to have compassion on the crowds to want to protect and feed the needy, to even lay down his life for those he loves. And then finally, Prince of Peace. Not peace here on earth between men, but peace between man and God. And so when this child comes, we'd expect him to bring a perfect peace with God, to break down the barriers between God and man. See, how can we have light? Well, through the wisdom of this child, through the might and power of this child, through the loving care of this child, and through the peace with God that this child brings. 
And that's all possible because this child is God. And this God child will reign forever. Have a look at verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and for forever. Now, we've just elected a new government in Victoria, and uh, some of us might be happy about that, some of us might be a little less happy of that, about that, but whatever we think, that is our government for the next four years, but only for four years. Then we head back to the ballot box again, and we get to vote in a new government. That's the way our system works. Premiers are in power for a set period of time, and then they're gone. But not this child, not this God child, this God child will reign forever. In a hundred years, when we're all dead and buried, he'll still reign. In a thousand years, when Australia as we know it may not even exist anymore, he'll still reign. In a trillion years, when the sun has burned out, he will still reign. This God child will reign forever with justice and righteousness. He'll reign with light, chasing away the darkness. But of course, the big child then is, well, the big question then is, who is this child? And the promise of the Bible is that the answer to that is Jesus. At the start of John's gospel, his historical eyewitness account of Jesus' life, we heard it read out before, uh, he says this, this is what he says in John 1. The true light that gives light to every man was coming to the world. Let me read that again. The true light that gives light to every man was coming to the world. So that's why Christmas is such an important time because we celebrate the coming of the light, this child who is light, who will chase away darkness. We celebrate the coming of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. See, to see Jesus is to see light. To see Jesus is to experience the wisdom of God, the power of God, the care of God, and the peace of God. And that's why Christmas is so special. See, what really happened at Christmas? Well, God brightens up. Light has flooded into the world, which means that we don't need to be in darkness anymore. We don't need to be hopeless anymore because light has come and this light is a child. But all of that then brings us back to our question at the start. What would it be like if darkness was gone forever? Well, that's exactly what we see in verses 3 to 5. They tell us just how wonderful things are when living in this light. And so let's keep working backwards. Have a look at verse 5 with me. This light brings peace. Have a look. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It's a picture of such peace because all of the tools for war are burned, they're not needed anymore, they're done away with. It would be a little bit like saying all of the camouflage gear and all of the machine guns have been burned up because we don't need them anymore. Peace has come. It's a picture of peace. And don't we all long for peace? But the offer of peace here is far greater than the offer of peace 
between man and man. This is an offer of peace between man and God. Because ultimately, that is our biggest problem. That is the ultimate issue with the world. We are at war with God. God is king, and we have decided to rule our lives our own way. We've refused to bow the knee to God, and we've declared war on God. And yet, despite that, God has brought peace to to us by sending his light into the world. That light, Jesus then lived the perfect life that we don't then died the death we deserve to die, all so that we might have peace with God. And actually, that's why we best understand Christmas when we look to Easter, and we best understand Easter in light of Christmas. They go so well together. Because Christmas is about this light entering the world, and then Easter is about this light creating peace. And so what would it look like to have darkness gone forever? would look like peace with God. And because of that peace with God, we have freedom. Have a look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a yoke before, but it's that big bar that you hold ox together as they're plowing the fields. That's how you bind them together as they're working. And the bar across their shoulders is a a similar kind of idea. Now, it was actually used sometimes to bind humans together, to bind slaves together. And then the rod there was a big bar that was kind of held by the slave. It was a bit like a whip used to hit the, um, the slaves. And so all of those are tools for oppression. They're tools you use to hold someone in slavery. And yet, what has this light brought about? Well, he's shattered the yoke and the bar and the rod. These tools of dominance have not just been done away with, they've been completely and utterly destroyed. And so what we see here is that this peace with God leads to freedom from sin and death. It's the ultimate freedom, freedom from our biggest issue, all because Jesus has died for our sake to wash us clean. And so Christmas informs Easter. In this child, we can have freedom. And what that brings then is overwhelming joy. In fact, we'll have a look at verse 4. Did you see how many times the word joy or rejoice appears in verse 3? Have a look, verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Four times in one verse it appears. I mean, it's so clear. Joy, rejoice, and this is what it looks like to live in the light. Now, uh, we do have one couple at our church who are farmers, and I'm sure they understand well this idea of harvest, but most of us aren't, aren't farmers, so we may not know that feeling of a bountiful harvest, but maybe think about a giant tax return. You know that feeling you get when you get a huge tax return? And you see it come into your bank account. And it is your money anyway, but still nice when it comes back. That's a little bit like what this light brings. Or the other illustration Isaiah uses is the joy of soldiers dividing the plunder after the war. Their enemy is defeated, and now they get to take their gold and their jewels, their animals and their livestock, 
their food and their wine. They get to take it all and they get to enjoy it and they get to rejoice. See, that's a small taste of the joy that this light brings. But of course, the joy that this light brings is a joy far greater than a harvest or a tax return or dividing plunder. This is the joy of the everlasting counsel of God the joy of the everlasting protection of the warrior God, the joy of the everlasting nurture of a heavenly Father, the joy of the everlasting peace, not peace between men, but peace between man and God. And so because of that, even when we're feeling the weight of the darkness of the world, we can still have joy because we know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's hope. Because in this world, in this life, we will still experience darkness right until the end. We'll still experience the darkness of broken relationships, the darkness of loneliness, the darkness of sickness and suffering, because this world is still a dark place. But because of this light, we know that that won't always be the case, that that won't always be the case. We know that because this light has brought peace with God, and freedom from slavery to sin and death. Because of that, we have joy in knowing that the future is bright, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's ultimately why Christmas is such a time of joy, even in the midst of darkness. Because Christmas is a time we remember the joy that light has come. And so this Christmas then, things might be going well for you. Uh, you might be feeling the, the strong presence of your friends and family Work or school might be going well. You're healthy and in good spirits. Things in life might be going well for you. And if that's the case, then enjoy that. Praise God for that. But remember that actually, there's a deeper, better reason to have joy. The light at the end of the tunnel. The light that's flooded into the world on Christmas. But for others of us, things might not be going so well this Christmas. Uh, maybe you're feeling lonely and isolated. Maybe it feels like everyone else around you has someone, but you don't. Or maybe you're feeling the crushing anxiety, the crushing burden of anxiety, and it feels like it's just a weight that you can't hold up. Or maybe you or loved one is sick, and you're just feeling the weight of that darkness. Or maybe it's something else. This Christmas, whatever you're going through, remember the light at the end of the tunnel. Remember the peace and the freedom that this light offers, peace with God, and freedom from sin and death. And then find joy in that light, a joy far greater than any joy apart from God, outside of God. This is a deeper, better, more lasting joy, a joy of the soul that comes from knowing the light. And so what would it be like if darkness was gone forever? That well, would be pure, unadulterated joy. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that at Christmas time we do celebrate the fact that light has come down into the world. And we thank you that uh, this light chases away darkness. That all the darkness of this world, both out there but also in our souls, in our hearts, is ultimately done away with. Uh, would you help us this Christmas to still find joy even in the midst of difficulty and darkness, we do uh, know that uh, even though the light has come, still there's temporary darkness in the world. 
but we rejoice in knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that one day all of that darkness will be done away with. And would you help us to look forward to that day and find joy in the fact that the light has come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.